0: Hey everybody, this is the House of Shade, and today's episode is co-hosted by Red-Eyed Bear and Anon Silk, featuring special guest and Shade Protocol founder, Carter Wetzel. In today's episode, we discuss what led Carter to develop the protocol, we deep dive into the Shade tokenomics, and we learn about an upcoming application that will be introduced in the coming months. Now let's jump right in and join Red-Eyed Bear and Anon Silk for our first episode of House of Shade. All right. God, I'm so excited to finally get this project out in front of the community. Uh, it's been about two months in the making, House of Shade, and it's finally coming to fruition. And uh, what a better person to have on than Carter. Uh, thank you for joining us, man.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for, for having us. Like, just It's so heartwarming to see phenomenal community members from all over the world unite under this very, very early on vision. And I think House of Shade, speaks to the fact that there are many people with many stories that need to be told and that this protocol is more than just a price chat telegram more than just a white paper there are ultimately people behind it and people and stories are powerful so thank you thank you for what you guys are are doing yeah
0: we um it was just a couple community members that ended up coalescing realizing that uh the community needs a little bit better education out there um And it's not not a dig on any of the developers or any of the core team. They're obviously loaded down with uh, their own workload. And this is something that uh, community members can this is like a perfect position for community members to fit. So happy to be able to do this. Uh, The team that we're working with is absolutely phenomenal. Um, Still fairly small, just four people, but uh, it's it's been a great ride so far. and It's finally nice to get this out in public. so today we're going to end up talking about tokenomics of Shade Protocol. But before we get into that, um, I just want to let you, Carter, talk a little bit about how you got interested in the stablecoin narrative, and then um, kind of your progress through blockchain industry to where you're at now.
1: Totally, yeah. So 2017, I had a cousin in TradFi, Chuck me some some links on LinkedIn. Started falling down the blockchain rabbit hole, was was taking notes on this technology. I checked out every single book that I could conceivably get my hands on. And the one thing that was really obvious to me is like all the writing was very like rushed. You could tell it wasn't super well written. And there was a couple diamonds in the rough, but for the most part, is either way too tech focused or way, way, way too focused on like investing. So 40, 50 pages into taking notes on this emerging technology. I'm like, wait a second. Like, I think I might be you know, writing a book right now. Um, and education wise, I have a computer science and, and finance background. So it's really blockchain. Just, just like at this perfect crossroads with economics, game theory. And it was the part that really drew me in is it's just so much experimentation, like, trad fi, like traditional finance. You don't get to like play around this much, but we had this whole community of people that were challenging all the assumptions about, about web two. Can we decentralize things can we give sovereignty back to users and not only can we do that but can we do it cheaper can we reduce the middleman right um and so i spent three years deep researching blockchain and that's when the privacy problem emerged it was like you know we have these centralized exchanges we have you know these other blockchains like bitcoin and ethereum and wallet correlation is actually not crazy difficult to do and everything's completely transparent. How are we going to bridge payments and applications to the real world if I go up to a hot dog stand and they're going to be able to know every transaction I've made since the beginning of time in my entire bank balance? Like that's a massive security risk that normal everyday people are not going to be willing to take on. And so my longstanding theory has always been the reason people haven't, that the privacy narrative hasn't super taken off yet is that blockchain actually isn't that integrated into our everyday lives and functions yep. yet right it's the sad truth but the more integrated we become the harder it is to run from the privacy problem and the more this you know privacy solutions are going to be needed in order for us to to scale adoption wise and so that's when i found enigma which is a layer two privacy solution on ethereum There was really big scalability um problems there i was a part of the blockchain ambassador program with Enigma. So I was just a total community member, just like, where can I contribute? What can I write? How can I educate? I was really passionate about the collegiate scene and kind of educating students there. And eventually it migrated to being a layer one known as Secret Network built with the Cosmos SDK. And in September of 2020, uh, Secret Network launched Privacy Preserving Smart Contracts for the very first time, which is a huge moment. No one else had done it. Um, I met Mohamed Petla. He is the... um, founder of Secure Secrets. I'm also the co-founder of Secure Secrets. It's a validator securing $30 million plus worth of assets across five networks. But more specifically Secure Secrets is one of the core protocol contributors to Shade Protocol. Um, and we started grabbing developers because we, we had a dream, right? It's like privacy DeFi needs to be made and it doesn't seem like it's being built out in a cohesive fashion. So like if someone else isn't gonna do it, then like we should go do it, right? And that's really where the dream dream kicked off. I could backpedal a bit and talk about how I've been obsessed with MakerDAO and DAI and stable coins on Ethereum for a very long time. Terra Luna's algorithmic model was just like mind-blowing. And so the obvious next step was what are the biggest problems in DeFi? How can we solve for them? And ultimately, like from day one, we've always said we want to build products on seeker network that even if there wasn't any privacy they were still innovative in their own right like we feel really really strongly about that privacy is a very very strong feature it's absolutely key it undergirds everything we do but in order to get user adoption from other web3 platforms you can't just be like a half step up. You need to be like so far ahead that people cannot deny that what you're doing is better. And that's the reason they're going to going to make the jump. So yeah. anyways, that's a little bit of background. I know I just went like 20 different directions. Feel free to like narrow oh, me no, in, it's, but no, that's question.
0: fine. I'm, I'm glad you uh, gave that full scope just because um, I think everyone's story of how they get to understanding that privacy is one of these uh, aspects of blockchain technology that personally uh, they think is critical. Um, so everyone's story is a little bit different there. So it's always interesting to hear the people who are building stuff here, what their story is and how they came to this conclusion themselves. Um, yep, yeah. Early. So before we get into, uh, before we get into tokenomics, I just wanted to highlight why we're talking about to- tokenomics today. Um, in looking at various projects, this seems to be one of the things that end users kind of focus in on as one of those things that can make or break, make or break a project. Um, and I think it's very true depending on how you allocate your initial um, tokens can definitely impact uh, the way you can build in the future. Um, And so making sure individuals understand the logic behind the tokenomics design is really crucial for making sure that individuals can assess whether this project is something they want to invest in. Um, And so understandably, there was a lot of... uh, a lot of FOMO building up to the tokenomics release, like everyone was uh, foaming at the mouth for it and we finally got it. So uh, we're going to break it down today and uh, try and give a little bit of uh, inside look into the logic that um, that was used to create the tokenomics. So
2: totally. first
0: part I uh, want to talk about is the airdrop portion. Um, that's the part that end users right now can uh, interact with. And that's what's kind of on everyone's mind. Obviously, the full protocol and other primitives are gonna be coming out later down the road. Um, But for right now, AirDrop is what's on most people's mind. Um, Just to give a little bit of background on the AirDrop, there's about 14.5% of the shade supply that was gonna be AirDrop. 20% of that was available February 21st, um, which people can go claim now and 80% is available upon the launch of the protocol and key contracts. Um, Just personally, I think this was a great way to break up the airdrop. Um, I think it's super important to be able to properly incentivize users to come back and use the protocol because there have been plenty of airdrops that I've been a part of where there was just no incentive to interact with the protocol. Like you might like the project, but there was the utility either wasn't there or um, like they didn't do a good job marketing it. And so I think for shade with, with how big of a following it already has four or five days uh, after um, token launch is, is awesome. Um, And so I was just curious about why you guys decided to break it up like that. You obviously could have given Mm -hmm. everyone their tokens um, initially uh, that way, potentially we could have had a little bit more liquidity uh, put into the market. So I was just wondering why you broke it up the way you did.
1: Totally. I mean, it's for a lot of the reasons you stated, right? Like we wanted to get the token out there, establish a price feed, right? Cause silk launching is very much contingent upon shade, having established liquidity, having a, an established price. Um, so having like shade out in circulation for a while and making sure that there's their stability surrounding the DEXs and what the Oracle contract will be looking at was quite, uh, quite important. And specifically, I'm calling them the utility contracts. Like I've been, that's how I'm kind of framing it. You have, you have shade staking. Um, you'll have the ability to conversionment between silk and shade. Um, we'll have basic governance proposals. So there's lots of, All of the actual utility that gives shade its fundamental value, those are in progress, which we're going to have a development um, update soon, post airdrop, another developer roundtable where we sit down and say, hey, here's the state of the contracts." right? But I think by splitting it up task-based, we're going to give users that initially maybe didn't have a great first impression of the protocol, right? We can just say that the claim experience was nothing short of like disappointing, I think in terms of the throughput and people wanting to get their claim, and all that stuff and like we can call a spade a spade, right? But I think the beauty of only doing 20% out and 80% later is Shade does have an established price, which means that other 80% has value. And once we launch those utility contracts, people already know about Shade protocol um they might be huge fans they might they might not be but they're definitely going to come back knowing oh wow like that's there's value sitting there and all i got to do is interact with the protocol and our number one job as as developers and builders just to have that ui ux experience be so good on the other side of this once the utility contracts go live that people are inevitably going to stake and lock up their supply or, or liquidity provide right so you can you nail it on the head we wanted to disperse out the the emission rate, um, slowly build towards the utility contracts and then the launch
0: itself. And so, so when when that 80% does become available, is that something people will have access to all at once? Or is this also like there are gonna be multiple things you have to do in order to unlock it?
1: Yep, it's gonna be multiple things to do. And this is actually like an ongoing discussion because I'm somewhat in favor of like the very first task should be shade yep. staking. Like I'm hoping we have a full-blown video saying like Here, like, hold up, like, before you claim, here is why shade staking is, like, phenomenal. Like, this is about, this is what you're about to participate in. And so then I think we give, you know, 20 to 30% unlock for the shade staking task. Maybe we let, you know, week, week and a half go by. We make sure everything's good. And then we do the next task, which is, like, convert shade into silk. At that point, silk has gone live. We make sure arbitrage stability is all good to go. Then you wait a little bit longer and then maybe you do your first governance proposal or whatever that final, final task will be. So on the flip side, one could say, no, just do it all at once. Try to do all the tasks at once, but boom. There's probably be more supply shocks, which is okay. Like supply shocks at the end of the day are large bag holders selling and distributing and decentralizing the protocol. Like the people that can shift price the most are people that own the yeah. most of the token, right? So it's like liquidity shocks, they're painful but like we would work through them if it was just all at once. Um, I really think splitting it up and slowly kind of walking through that process continues to have people engaged with the protocol over time and then gives us a chance to make long-term fans. Well, on the flip side, people are like, no, just give it to me now. I'm unhappy yeah. that I have to wait, right? So it's, it's, it's trade-offs and, and totally open to what people think is is optimal on the final. Sure. Eighty percent, and how we unload it. You one know? of
0: the one of the big things that I've, I'm thinking about, as you're saying this, is I in the tokenomics um, it details when the uh, atrophy will start happening, like the clawback of shade. Yes. and I think it said it's about a month yep. after Silk launches. So still launches,
1: still So contract. people yep. will
0: still have plenty of time to do all the interaction, like that second wave of interaction before the atrophy happens, right?
1: Totally. Yeah, you got a you got a full blown month, and it's like. Silk contract going live is is going to be like probably the final contract or like everything. We're trying to bring everything online and then like silk and that's the big everyone sits there and is like, all right, like does it pull it off? Are we able to maintain peg and like personally full disclaimer? I haven't let out a big sigh of relief when I like to launch like it's like it's like great tokens out there. Cool. But until silk holds its peg and it's out in the wild for me, we haven't really we haven't really done much yet. We launched a token. It was multi chain. That is very impressive in its own right, huge props to, to the devs, the team, but the biggest milestone as a community needs to be like, Silk is launched and holy smokes, it's doing what we said it would do. That, <laughs> that's when the real excitement yeah. comes and in. and that's
0: that's so. what you want out of, of a flagship product too, you know? Um, so I, I'm super excited about Silk coming here and there's all kinds of other stuff that are going to be uh, being unlocked and released right around that time too, so... Not only do you have silk to look forward to, but all these other primitives and utility contracts that you can interact with.
1: Do you know something, red-eyed bear?
0: <laughs> so uh, so as far as uh, this atrophy that's going to happen, um, in reading some of the articles that have been posted by either Secure Secrets or just talking with other people that have witnessed uh, the claim rate with other uh, airdrops, <clears throat> it seems like a high participation high participation airdrop typically has claim rate of about 50% which personally kind of blows my mind like I would imagine that something as valuable as shade and silk to come in the future people would be just doing everything they could to claim it but yet we still potentially have 50% of people who aren't going to claim their shade
1: can't can't know to claim it if you don't know about it right and I think that's like I think the higher the participation rate, the better market penetration we had on, you know, Adam and, and Tara. And you have to be careful with it, right? Because these are communities that view what we're doing and they're excited they're getting an airdrop, but they might not be happy that we're building some primitive that could compete with them. So like how we've gone about announcing the airdrop, I think we got the majority of our coverage at announcement. But since then, it's like, how do you make sure those people are aware of it without doing it in a way that's like disrespectful to those communities in any capacity. It's like, it's, it's that interesting um, song and dance. So I'm, my gut says we only have like a 35 to 40% claim, right? When everything's said and done, I hope it's 50. I hope it's 60, but I think multi-chain means those communities are going to be less likely to participate. Well, I mean, you guys did
0: just about everything you could to let everyone know that you took (laughs) inspiration from these other groups. Like you're not shy about it. And you want to definitely give these people props where they're at. Um, you're doing everything you can to be, uh, like give people credit where credit is due. Um, but as far as that atrophy, um, so does that mean potentially we have 50% of the airdrop that gets clawed back into the community pool?
1: Exactly. Yep. All, it could greater than 50%. It's just, it's a hundred percent dependent on how people claim it. So and that would be, I mean, 14.5%, roughly 13.5, depending on how much goes out for like the incentivized testing. Um, so half of that's like 7%. So treasury could be as big as 17% out of the gates wow. then. And then if you add on really like the, the grants pool getting merged back in, once we get governance up and running, that's an extra 12%. So then that's up to like, you know, 32% for the, for yeah. the treasury, which there's some subtractions from there. Cause there's already grants that are already happening as we speak. And I would hope the community votes to have you know allocation from treasury go into the grants program i'm not exactly how sure how that onboarding will work if it's like that allocation has to get voted on and pushed or is it already is that tranche of tokens already established once governance goes on. Yeah, sure. we'll, we'll find out I'll yeah. to talk more with the devs about that but
0: yeah i'm glad yeah. you mentioned the incentivized test net just because uh one this is this is a great way for any community member to get directly involved with the protocol um honestly I think it's as easy as just raising your hand uh, and saying, I want to participate. And as long as they still have uh, room within their uh, test net group, um, you'll be able to be adding and you can see, you can actually see how things progress and like what, what the initial product looks like. Maybe like your minimum viable product and how it gets to something that's market ready. And honestly, I, I was able to participate in the incentivized test net and it was really cool getting to see how things change. And then obviously once the airdrop was live, seeing how things changed after the fact, like things that we were super super excited about, like this is gonna be um, make it super smooth, um, super easy, and then you know sometimes things have to change on the fly due to due to network conditions. Yeah,
2: yeah. Sh- shout out to the devs who were in chat during that whole test net initiative. They really had their finger on the pulse. They were not missing a damn thing. That was well executed. Yeah. yeah.
1: Shout out to my brother, Austin Wetzel. Some people don't know yeah. that,
2: but I got I got I got brother on the project and they they were
1: developers, front end developers were like absolutely meticulous. So if there would have been perfect throughput on everything and everything would have gone down well, I think people would have been like, wow, this claim experience is like top tier. <laughs> but you know, you can't you can't account for everything and we we did what we could and um to talk about the incentivized test net. There was, it was like a form that went out for people to get feedback. And top 10 best feedback are getting some amount of shade from the incentivized test net category. So that that still needs to be accounted for. And there's also um, like the Peg research team, a couple people have done just like phenomenal work. And we're gonna do a better job. It's just been it's been so absurdly busy, but sometime, let's see, it's the 28th of something week. We'll we'll outline like, hey, like here's how you qualify, here's what's pulled aside for testers, we'll we'll add more structure and visibility on it. So far, it's just been so chaotic trying to get feedback <laughs> that that type of like handoff of in of tokens and to testers has been more chaotic than i'd like and we can do um um, talk about having a better job and i'd also highly recommend having one of the peg research uh people onto house of shade people ask me they're like so tell me about like the composition of of silk i'm like i honestly like this whole there's like four people that know way more way more than i do about how silk works the composition of it i just know what the end goal is they took it and sprinted like thousand yards ahead so highly recommend getting them yeah.
0: on. oh we we've definitely been in talks with them uh and definitely want to bring them on um uh, me and anon were both on a peg research call maybe a week or so ago and it was just it's so eye-opening to to get to talk to these people who really know what they're talking about like these economists um and most of them are really good at like not dumbing it down, but like making it very easy for new people to come. And I know they're working on documentation to make it so that anyone that's interested in uh, contributing to the PEG research team can read this documentation and basically pick right up where they're at, which is really, really cool. because um,
2: yeah, we have uh we we've been talking to two two of the guys who are are definitely trying to come on House of Shade and just a little teaser alpha for those of you who are going to be tuning in during that episode. The benchmark that that this gentleman created is just absolutely mind blowing, and the the way it ties back into Silk and its stability, man, there is such a bright future here.
0: Yeah, so many many future conversations as I have in regards to the peg, um, but just a kind of get on to the next aspect of the tokenomics outside of the airdrop is uh, the development fund. Um, Obviously, this is something that uh, hits home for you, Carter, especially. Um, So brief synopsis, these are funds that are going to be used to help build out key shade primitives and also secure integrations for silk and shade. Um, It accounts for about 23, a little over 23% of the um, total token supply. And I think this is one of the areas that the tokenomics for Shade differentiates itself from other projects just because of um, some of the core principles of Shade protocol that kind of help shape the, the, the logic behind the development fund. Um, and the one that I want to highlight most is just that no application unique tokens um, and yeah. also not sacrificing UX for tokenomics. and that not sacrificing UX kind of goes back to no unique applica- or application unique tokens. Um, yeah, totally. and so it's really cool to, um, once you think through it, be able to see that the allocation towards developer funds actually reflects um, these principles. Um, so maybe you could just talk a little bit about um, why you guys decided to go with a little bit heavier uh, development fund and um, maybe talk a little bit about that core principle of no application unique tokens and why it's important to the Shade protocol.
1: Sure. Uh, I'll, I'll start with the, the application and then I'll, I'll jump back to the numbers. So it's amazing how much more simplified it is working with partners when everyone's applications are all working together. It's like essentially we're creating a massive revenue mm-hmm. share model. And the instant you have a new token, like that team and that product automatically has a fork in the road right and like l1's yeah. experience this applications are not built to like 100 percent give value back to the layer one and so by having all of our primitives and the community members and the team like everything that gets done is just it's all for a public good there's no one going off and like launching some some side thing for for self-gain in that sense so i'll talk to the 23.25 ultimately we've pretty much roadmapped out like six years worth of, of development, if not more. Like we've, we've, we've thought that That's far awesome. ahead. And so the core development team and contributors have to envision a world where we have a team north of you mm-hmm. know, 50 people, north of 100 people. And so it is it is a quote unquote scary, scary amount. Like I think if you look at um, like airdrop distributions, I would say we're probably, let's say like uh, upper 1% quartile is somewhere between like 27 to like 35%, okay. right? let's say that's like 75% to 100%. I would say we're probably like 55th percentile. Okay. I think we're like slightly above the average, like not as decentralized as it could be, not as over centralized as it could be. And I think part of that is just, we have such a clear primitive product vision that it's like, we don't need to account for an infinite number of applications necessarily. We need to sprint after, you know, the 10 to 15 key defi mm-hmm. primitives. And having those initial developers, being able to scale that out to other teams within the core contributors and sprint after that, it feels like it's a trade-off that was worthy worthy of making. Um, now I will say this way back, that number was originally 30, like right around 30%. So we clawed that all the way back to 23.25%. Um, just just to yeah. give people an idea like yeah like originally it was yeah. even a bigger number than that that's how much conviction we had but then we had more conviction about you know what that represents to the community and 23.25 is is where we landed maybe it should have been 18 maybe it should have been 20 right like at the end of the day these are these are the things that you can debate endlessly but what i do know is that we have really good leaders and builders behind all of this and like I, I I trust the the leadership within the core contributors to to use those funds ethically and to to push shade to the next level. So, in,
0: in thinking about this, in why developers would potentially want to build on Shade Protocol versus creating their own application and their own uh, central value capture mechanisms, um, what? As a core member, what do you envision being the hardest part of onboarding new developers? Like, is it have to do with that value capture yep. for whatever application or application layer product they're creating? Or do you think it has to do more with documentation and tech stack stuff?
1: We've actually surprisingly, so this was one of my biggest worries. I remember it was like eight months ago. I remember like in my bed just being like, how are we going to like, this is a problem, like it's usually people have their own application tokens. And so it's like the reason they go launch a token is because it's very lucrative to launch tokens. So how are we going to get really, really good developers to come build on shade if they could just go launch their own yep. token? Right. And so far what we've seen partnering with other teams, the biggest advantage we have is that we as a core group of contributors and as a community of developers, what we pretty much tell people is all you have to do is make the contracts, right? We got brand covered for you. Mm-hmm. It's the shade brand, right? Done community solved. You don't have to build your own community. You're on your own token. It's already solved for you. You're joining a, You're joining the family, right? So we have, we have the community. We have the front end. We have the brand. We have the UI UX testing. Literally, we do as a community, as a group of developers, once you join this family, everything is done for you. All you have to do is build there. the contracts. And so what you do is you'll find builders as we have so far. All they want to do is just build the contracts. And then it's just, you have to be able to have the humility to compensate people really yeah. freaking well. Right. And, and have them get enough tokens that they're participating in the revenue share model and such that the primitive they built is like, Oh yeah, like that's, I'm, I'm receiving from that. And the end goal is one day we bootstrap the DAO enough. That's not necessarily, I mean, you could always give out shade tokens from the DAO for developers, but one day it could just be like, Hmm, like I'm pretty sure this primitive can produce X amount of revenue. So we're going to put up like a 10 million silk bounty for this to be built. Right. And some people are just willing to work straight up for the silk. They don't even necessarily need the shade, like long-term revenue share. And so it's it's about finding the right developers, finding the right community. But long story short, I thought it was going to be a huge problem. And the answer is there's a certain appetite. There's a certain type of developer that has an appetite for just building contracts. They don't want to mess with anything else. They've tried to do it before. They don't want to mess with community integration. They don't want to have their own brand. They don't want to have to build their own front ends. So if we can just do everything for them, because you're joining this suite of applications, except the contract development, it's a yeah, I didn't so.
0: I didn't even think about all the other things that really go into building that, like you can have all the contracts and uh, everything behind the scenes looking good, but you still have to market it. People still have to use it. Um, you got to create branding, all that. Yep. So th- it almost sounds like uh, Shade is providing like a, a best case scenario for builders who really just want to focus on building, which is awesome. Yep
2: exactly yeah exactly. especially like given given the way that i see this DAO evolving Ooh. over time that might serve as incentive enough alone for builders to want to come and build for this incredible DAO. yep
1: totally it's 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 and I, it's it's going to be so interesting to see it play out because like at the end of the day launching your own token on average probably could be more lucrative but it, it's like a risk reward yep. thing and some builders just truly love building and they just want to build great applications for users not every builder is someone that's like how can i just like extract as much value as possible like there's good people yeah, sure. out there that just like believe in privacy preserving defi and, and want to build that platform yeah. for people so it's just find, it's really finding the right people we've had to say we've had to say no to some builders we we've, we've had people that didn't understand the vision of 100% of the revenue goes back to stakers and the DAO, like for the key mm-hmm. 100% key primitives yeah. That's a tough pill to swallow. But just because you have a couple people doesn't, that don't see the vision doesn't mean you can't yeah. find the right people. And, and so far we've ha- yeah. we have. So,
0: so as far as um, the funds that developers are actually getting, I, I um, saw within the tokenomics release that over-the-counter deals are going to be um, something that users who receive funding from the developer fund are going to be participating in. Can you, um can you maybe yep. highlight why uh, over-the-counter deals are actually Uh, a really good option for uh, the developers?
1: Totally. So essentially, OTC gives you two opportunities, right? The the first opportunity is you can define a contract where the counterparty has to commit to providing a certain amount of liquidity or staking for X amount of time or unlocking that deal, like those tokens over the course of a certain period of time. So that simple fact means we can make a transaction with another party that like wants to own shade and they're going to provide value to the protocol in a way that makes, you know, the impact of like, let's just assume they're a malicious actor, quote unquote malicious. I don't, somebody who sells shade is not malicious in my mind, but we'll just yeah. for this, for this thought experiment, we're going to say whoever's on the other, other side yeah. of the OTCL is just going to dump it. Right. That's the yeah. worst case scenario. Why would we not make a deal with someone else that's going to provide, provide liquidity, stake, secure the protocol, and then have them dump at the end of those terms versus the team just like yeah. selling right on the open market. Because that's the quote unquote worst case malicious actor. That's what we would yeah. be doing if we did that. So it's really about like finding the right counterparties. And like also in the in the world of like decentralization, I think people, there's like some misnomers out there about like whales and institutes, there's like a lot of fear around these things, but there are legitimately people with like a lot of capital that like, they just want to hold the token and support the protocol yeah. long term. So I have OTC lists that are very, very long, and like the first, there are many people that get xed out because it's just like you're not yeah. a believer, you're not a believer. Like I, I can, yeah. just, you know, like you talk with them, you can tell yeah. they don't care about the protocol. So not only are they providing value for the protocol, you also have a chance to identify if you can pull someone else into the vision and have them be here long term right. on the marketing side, on the awareness side, on the networking side. So I wanted to. Like we put the OTC thing, in like a lot of projects wouldn't say that they would be even afraid yeah. to bring it up as a topic, but I just want to like lay the cards out there. It's like there are operations attached to the core developers. And at the end of the day, there has to be some sort of tangible sovereign currency to be able to pay people out. And one day it will be silk right now. We can't do that but life becomes a lot easier once, once silk answers awesome. the information.
0: And are there just for maybe anybody out there who wants to participate in these OTC deals? Uh, is there like a formal way to, um, to get involved with that or, or maybe that formal way will be unveiled in the future, uh, as we get closer to a full protocol launch?
2: Yeah,
1: I am. And I think you can like, feel free to, to, to ping, to ping me. Um, the best thing you can do is be like a proven community member for Shape protocol like we're definitely biased towards community members um and then there's questions probably questions like oh like what's what's the minimum amount for participating in otc and i don't even know necessarily like if there's if there's necessarily like a floor i mean i think i think traditionally people like to do floor of like ten thousand dollars worth fifteen thousand dollars worth and so it's, this is probably taboo that we're talking about any of this. It's great, like most projects, they don't talk about their OTC deals. Like it's very, it's very like guarded private stuff, but at the end of the day, want to give community, we're biased towards community members. We want to work with people that are going to, you know, give back to the protocol in the process of, of those. That that makes
0: total sense. Well, that's awesome. That's, that's a great synopsis of uh, the development fund, honestly. Um, it sounds like you guys have definitely thought this through on uh, the best way for you guys to receive the funding um, that you need to be able to go full-time and really to focus completely on shade protocol. Um, so yeah.
1: The- I'll, I'll say this too. Like we we're trying to be the best stewards we can of, of funds in the sense that like this office, for instance, we're, we're fitting like eight people in here from the team, single office. Monthly rent about eight fifty a month. All right. So so I've I've heard of teams was like, oh like they went and bought a yeah. you know ten million dollar house and it's like oh, <laughs> frick, like we're not like that's that's so like that we're 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 gonna be the best stewards we can and um definitely uh once we get through the madness, like I would like to be as transparent with the community as possible with with how funds how funds are used. So once again, very taboo, but we'll 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 see what we can well, we can at do. At least that, you guys yeah. have
0: an office. I honestly was envisioning you guys all meeting at your house, just like super early morning. <laughs> back <in> the morning. <laughs> well, we did
1: for, we did for a very we did for a while. There was definitely lots of uh, lots of meetups, and we we've been in here for about since the beginning of February, okay. pretty much. So it's been good, and we have people outside of. Full disclosure, we're, we're in Minnesota, there, there's people in Canada, there's people in Puerto Rico, there's people in India, Pakistan, I mean, community members are all over the world. So.
0: That's so awesome yeah. to hear. I love that. This is I, just kind of taking a step back from Shade, just like the crypto industry has given me some of the best networking opportunities uh, I've had in my life. Um, meeting people from all over the world, getting different perspectives. Um, and I imagine that's exactly what you wanted to... Uh, a building team you know you want all these different perspectives you don't want everyone to be the same thinking on the same kind of wavelength uh, so that that's really awesome to hear so
1: oh yeah i mean you, you got to be willing to have a team of people that challenge every assumption like the day the risk in a system and in a community is when people like are afraid to criticize and afraid to ask the hard questions and i hope with Shea protocol like privacy is is like one of our fundamental ethos but Privacy does not mean that we don't disclose and ask hard questions about things that are public goods, and so I hope hope
2: people. There's like an inverse relation there. Like public, public fucking blockchains, they'll 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 be like, well, you know, privacy is sacred, so they're going to be as non-transparent as possible. But here in the secret network, we have people who who are like, you know, privacy is a core ethos. But do you want to know this? Come on in. Like it's it's so much more friendly in that sense. Mm -hmm.
1: Well, and I, I think it's an advantage that like, as a community, I've seen a lot of privacy projects where like the founders are completely anonymous and there's no really like, there's not really like people. And I, I still firmly believe that like for a privacy project to like scale pretty quickly with what we have in mind, that there has to be a human element. There has to be people that are willing to be doxed for the greater good, essentially to be like, no, like, I value privacy and I'm fighting for your right to privacy. And I've actually given up my privacy indefinitely to be able to help the world be a better place with this technology. And like that's that's a leap that like personally, Carter Wetzel, I never yeah. get that back. Right. Like I that that, that is name, it's out there forever. The accountability, the responsibility of that, and that weight does keep me up at night, but it's it's worth it. Like I believe what we're building. Is absolutely worth the, the sacrifice that was made on that front and i do think it's an advantage for us as a protocol where we're willing to put a human face to what we're doing I, so i
0: would totally agree I, it definitely helps humanize the project and realize that you know in situations where things don't go exactly as people wanted it to being able to realize that and we're we're all we're all humans you know we all make mistakes there are things that we could have done better there you know we we can also uh, agree that we did super well on some things um so having someone that can take that constructive criticism um, and be transparent about uh, what what the community is saying and the response is super important. Um, yeah. totally. So next portion of the tokenomics we want to talk about is the community pool or the, the uh, shade Dow treasury. Um, just a little bit of background on this. Um, we kind of touched on it previously. 10% of the initial shade allocation is going to the Treasury. Um, And the Treasury is basically a decentralized balance sheet of assets controlled by shade protocol governance um, used to help stabilize silk while also generating sustainable yield for those uh, shade stakers. Um, And so maybe you can give a little bit of uh, color to why you guys went with uh, 10% allocation towards the Treasury. Um, Obviously, you want to have a real nice core um allocation of assets to be able to help stabilize the protocol especially once silk once silk goes live um just because that that treasury is going to be paramount in helping stabilize silk so just can you maybe give a little color on why you guys decided with to go with that percentage
1: totally so 10% is like the goal of the treasury is to be a bunch of uncorrelated assets, not just shade. Like the long-term power of the treasury is we're gathering other layer one tokens on it. We're staking it. We're gathering LP tokens from bonds. We're earning passive yield. That's all going back to the treasury. So the larger that shade number is on the treasury, it's kind of like if like with how the sky arbitrage mechanism works, the end game is to have other uncorrelated assets that are participating in the buyback and participating in the arbitrage. Because if it's just like shade buys back silk to push it back to peg, that's an interesting little recursive system that's not nearly as sustainable as having uncorrelated assets. So originally that treasury number was much larger, but then as we looked at it, it was like the majority of the stability that the shade DAO is going to provide to silk will come from the uncorrelated assets that gather on it and so if you jack the number up to 40 percent or something yeah. huge it's like it's still the Shay token backing silk and that's got that weird reflexive yeah. thing and it's not that that mechanism doesn't work because it it, it definitely does within the context mm-hmm. of arbitrage it's just it's stronger if we're, we're more focused on long-term uncorrelated assets gathering on the dow and contributing so it's like why ten percent? It's like well, larger numbers than that start to lose its impact on on growth of the protocol and some other category, right? Um, yeah. So yeah, that that's kind of the, the, no, the logic. That makes that. that
0: makes total sense, and especially uh, considering the the long term goal of the treasury is to amass as many of these uncorrelated assets as they can. Um, it makes sense that you would see diminishing returns for stability as you increase your uh token al- shade token allocation towards the treasury.
1: Um I'm yep. And I uh, will say the community will have like the opportunity. Like there's like the the grants program, Friends, like there's there's merging that's happening later on. And so it's gonna be up to the community. Like do you want grants program to be even bigger? Do we want it to be smaller? Do we want more on the treasury? And it's like it's gonna be up to the community. So it's it's just making sure that the, the tools are in place for the community to collectively decide yeah. on it. I'm
0: something. glad you mentioned governance because this is I, I haven't been as excited about governance in uh, blockchain space as I have been since I found out about the plans for uh, Shade, um, specifically just because it it really does seem like the community has the power with the Shade protocol, which should be uh, like a big deal for end users, um, because personally I think. Shade has massive value capture mechanisms, and I see a really good uh, road for it ahead. And knowing that I, as a holder of uh, Shade or staker of Shade, have a say in, you know, how some of these funds are used, is it's it's really empowering, honestly, for the end user. Um, so seeing how seeing how governance is starting to really shape up and finalize is is really cool. I'm I'm interested to see how the actual UX uh works with the governance and i'm not sure if you guys have finalized anything on that like where governance will kind of uh reside um but maybe you could give a little bit of information on that
1: yeah it will definitely exist within you know the app i mean the dream is you got like you got your app and you know you got your staking your lending your swapping your bonds and like you got everything there and there's also a tab that's governance right and that's going to be its own it's going to be its own rabbit hole um i don't think governance should be put too far away from the regular end user experience because we want end users to know that there is in fact governance and this isn't just um some web 2 server sitting out there that's not controlled by much like it's, it's decentralized right um governance was really interesting i ended up it was uh coming back from a miami crypto event i missed i missed a flight and i was at the airport at uh like 1 a.m in the morning and i had a flight at 7 a.m and so i spent up spending six hours in an airport like on the ground like writing up the white paper and it's like it was it was beautiful because just like always going around solving problems so to have the chance to be able to just like think about governance yeah. For like six hours straight, no distractions in an airport, and so that was like the birth of it. Was literally that I remember thinking, like, what are like the very obvious problems with governance? And it's like, well, it seems like with these really big DAOs, these really big treasuries, it's like five to ten people. They make decisions. Community doesn't really have input. It's just like here's a Discord announcement about how we use the yeah. DAO funds, and it's like, well, that's then that's yep. not decentralized, right? It's and that's 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 worrying that baseline token holders aren't really a part of the everyday activities of this treasury, which they're governing. So that's where the simple idea of um, like the sanity checks came in. There needs to be a way that there's accountability every time the DAO makes a decision. There needs to be some sort of visibility, but at the same time, you also have to give the flexibility for these branches, which we've elected people onto the branches to perform their everyday duties in an effective and flexible way that this whole system can scale. We have to give them that flexibility, but they have to have accountability back to the the everyday user, which begged the second problem, which is, okay, we have these sanity checks, we have these flexible multi-sigs, what about the end user that doesn't give a rip about governance? How do we solve for that? And like answer, oh, you keep lowering quorum. like, eh, what if we add in a third party? That's representatives, really simple concept. You can put your vote with someone else and you can walk away. And these individuals are probably gonna be publicly doxed people that say, here's my address. This is what I stand for. This is what I'm all about. Um, Let's give votes to those people. We have some sort of thing that resets periodically, could be every six months, could be every year, every year. So users have to re-delegate it to a new representative or the same representative. But that was the concept. I mean, it's kind of mirroring the real world, like let's say U.S. government, but the thing is, when my mm-hmm. legislative person makes a decision, I have no visibility yeah. on it. Versus with Shade, your representative or the the branch does something, boom, on chain event is triggered, and actually as a baseline token holder with sanity checks, I know exactly what every branch of the yeah. DAO is doing. So right, powerful. powerful is this gonna? Stuff.
0: Will it function similar to how? Delegators can delegate tokens to validators, and th- the validators can vote for them, or they can individually uh, vote themselves.
1: Correct. You always you can always vote for yourself, or you can let your representative vote for you. I want to steer away from the validator language because yeah. validators specifically are securing yeah. something, yeah. right? A representative is just a wallet that votes. That is their service to the larger system. They're not securing the protocol necessarily. Like it's it's very much like a, a public yeah. servant. And maybe, maybe representatives will be people that go above and beyond such that we're like, yeah, like it makes sense. We would cast it. But anyways, it's very unexplored. It's very new. Please join the governance chat. Please talk about this stuff. Cause as with the as with like the silk research, the peg research stuff, I hope a whole group of people like take it and run with it. And are able to like arrive at a solution that allows the data to be
2: flexible, but gives that underlying accountability to baseline. Yeah,
0: that's, that's awesome. Um,
2: Yeah. One of the things I really like about it is that in the real world, when you exhibit rational ignorance, because you don't want to go through the minutia that is law, you, you, you elect a representative to make the best interest in your decision, but they're incentivized to do it. And, something here, like you said, there's, there's transparency. You're doxing yourself as a representative, but there's also no incentive other than who it is that you want to look out for. In the real world, there's people, there's people, you know, building roads and yada, yada, yada. Like of course they're not going to be able to be very involved with governance. It's a little different here as we are all like, you know, pretty much financiers on the internet right now, but still for the people that don't, don't, you know, don't have their finger on the pulse of governance that, that. Incentive, incentive, alignment is very, uh, it's very interesting. And I'm really excited to see how this plays out.
1: And I think it also adds like a face to governance. Cause even like validators are quite unknown. And I hope as like, as a community, we push to kind of like humanize this whole governance thing. It's like, I would love to be able to like open up a page of like shape protocol representatives. And there's like 40 people there and I can read their stories and they're around the world. And it's like, wow, this is like really, really cool. Versus it being kind of this like, and like, I think there will be representatives that, can be private mm-hmm. and anonymous, and we'll definitely respect that. 100. We're not saying you have to be doxxed, but I just think it's like a really unique opportunity to bring, like, blockchain governance hasn't taken the leap, hasn't taken the leap to like public representatives being out in the open, just yeah. serving a public good. And and one question that's come up is, have we considered incentivizing governance voting? Have we thought about incentivizing um, representatives? And I'm just gonna say this not going to make that centralized decision. I'm not going to say it's up to the community like that. I don't know. I don't know. I don't have the answer, guys. Like, do we incentivize voting? Do you represent? It's up It's up to the community. I don't have the yeah. answer for you.
0: So. Well, this is what that uh, the governance Discord's for. Go ahead and hash it out in there and talk about it. Um, have m- more than enough opinions and different viewpoints for people to give, um, you know, positive and negative uh, feedback to that. Um, just to circle yep. back, though, and, and talking about a really important part of the community pool is the the sky arbitrage contract that's tied to the community pool. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that a portion of um, allocation within the general treasury is going to be used to help maintain uh, the stability of the peg, and um, shade stakers have to will end up giving up a small portion of uh, their staking to help secure the mm-hmm. help secure the peg. And I'm assuming that is that allocation is going towards the sky arbitrage contract. Um, could Correct. could you maybe yeah. just for anyone that um, hasn't heard about the sky arbitrage contract or doesn't really know much about arbitrage um, interactions and opportunities in general, can you maybe give a brief description on what that Ar- arb contract is for?
1: Totally. So we'll, we'll, we'll assume silk is equal to a dollar to simplify this example. Um, right now, if silk is targeting a dollar and on the secondary market on a DEX is trading at a dollar and two cents, there needs to be a way to push silk back to its target peg of a dollar. So the way algorithmic stable coins work is anyone in the world is able to convert a dollar worth of shade for one silk that the market is valuing at a dollar and two cents. And so there's a two cent spread there because the user could sell this dollar worth of silk for a dollar and two cents because they, they directly interacted with the, the minting contracts. Super powerful function. They've expanded the supply of silk. They drive down the price of silk to target peg. Everyone's happy. Reverse scenario is also true. Silk is trading at $0.98. Cents. There's an opportunity to convert a, one silk worth $0.98 cents for a dollar worth of shade. So you shrink the supply of silk, you reduce the amount of sell pressure because you're pulling it, you're pulling it out. Um, and then you've, you've really expanded the supply of shade and really sharp. People will say, wait a second. So you're essentially like pulling on the market capitalization of shade to push it back to peg and the answer is yes. And this is why having a fundamental floor of value for shade tokens tied to tangible economic mm-hmm. value is so freaking important. And it's what Terra figured out Their two fundamental revenue streams are swap fees. From Luna to UST and back and forth, there's a little swap fee that goes to Shade um, to the stakers, as well as the transaction fees on UST. So Shade Protocol has the same thing. We have the Silk transaction fees, we have the swap fees, but then we actually add on top of it because all the other primitives that we're launching, those revenue streams are also going back to Shade stakers and Shade token holders. So the reason we're okay with contractionary events for demand for Silk drops is because the thing that's backing it shade does have a fundamental floor of value and terra luna makes the same exact design assumption too you have to it's how it works now when we initially researched Terra luna there's two entities at play you have retail arbitrage players and you have institutional arbitrage arbitrage players we said to ourselves what if we can add even more stability to the system can we add some additional entities that are neutral and decentralized to this entire system so this is where the idea for sky arbitrage was born and so Because it's even an older concept than that. It was really, I guess the original idea was like, all right, a shade staker, they're locking up collateral, they're earning APR, but what are they doing for the protocol? What risk are they taking for the protocol, right? Like locking up supply and reducing circulating supply isn't necessarily like building towards the public good. So that was actually like way, way back. That was actually what really triggered the concept was like, what can we do with their collateral that would help the greater good? The answer was help arbitrage and maintain the peg, right? So now you have shade staking collateral, goes into an arbitrage contract. And so now whenever there's an arb opportunity, when it's above or below peg, it performs the conversion minting, grabs the profits and gives it back to the treasury and the shade staker. So there's another revenue stream, right? Um, And then we also add on treasury collateral into this whole system too. So now instead of retail and institutional, it's retail, institutional, staking collateral, as well as... The treasury participating in all of this. So Luna recently has purchased a billion dollars with a bitcoin. Right? Yep. Saw that. It's it's handled by an entirely centralized entity. Okay. Ours isn't. Our our backing for shade protocol in mm-hmm. terms of treasury and staking, that's decentralized, man. Completely. So if we have five billion and uncorrelated assets on the shade treasury, it's it's not it's not centralized like that so i i'm I'm not gonna harp on it now because we need to prove that the dow grows and we get to that end game one day i think we'll have a very strong argument that like our additional entities that back the entire system are, are way more decentralized and therefore there's less risk involved
0: actually. and, and so, so uh as far as the the sky arbitrage contract goes the, the allocation of um treasury and uh, staking collateral that goes to that is flexible, right? Governance has the ability to change that. Yep.
1: Totally up to, totally up to, to governance on that front. Um, Personally, at least with how we instantiate it, it's like, it's either going to be 50 or like a hundred percent of shade staking collateral goes to the ARP contract. Like it's, it's decent, it's decently aggressive. Um, We've had some discussions internally though, where we think it might be best to establish the retail and institutional ARB before Sky even ever gets activated. Just from like a security standpoint, it's like establish your ARB community, make sure yeah. they're all good to go, and then like slowly kind of ramp up how much Sky participates in the arbitrage. Um, and I'll bring this back to another very fun moment that I'm assuming you guys heard about recently, but it was like how White Whale has suffered from this. Mm-hmm. White Whale and Terra, it's an arbitrage project where people passively earn revenue from blocking up mm-hmm. collateral It ARBs it for them, right? So they they ran into a fundamental problem. How does an on chain smart contract participate in arbitrage and somehow be faster than institutional players? Mm-hmm. Right? Like it's 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 a totally unfair, yeah. unfair fight. Uh, High level institutional bots versus just like a decentralized sure. smart contract. Um, and so I was thinking about this for a very, very long time, and one night um answer kind of popped up, or was like, we can never have a faster bot. It's not gonna happen. We'll never be able to do it. But what if we're thinking about it wrong? What if instead of trying to have a faster bot for Sky, what if instead we have different profitability ranges that no one else has access to? So that is how Sky works. The conversion minting fee that exists Mm -hmm. for everyone, that generates fees for stakers, that arbitrage players have to interact with, the Sky arbitrage contract doesn't suffer that fee, which means we have access to profitability ranges that no one else in the world has access to. We're essentially giving our arbitrage contract a monopoly on certain Mm -hmm. profitability ranges. Now you have to be careful with that because you don't want the sky contract to be the only arbitrage player, right? But you do want it to be able to be a uh, participant in the long run. So that was the design space solution. Don't try to be faster, be a part of a different profitability range. And that will actually create sustainable arbitrage for us over time because we can have that contract be triggered like 10, 15, 20 times a day and then we can guarantee like some level yeah. of APR potentially from Skyar back to Shade Dakers, and that's a whole revenue stream that like other protocols they don't have that. And the only reason we're and this is the beauty of a, an entire interconnected DeFi ecosystem. Like Terra Luna is not going to give White Whale permission to access yeah. to their conversion minting contract because it was never part mm-hmm. of their principles that everything should be unified together. Right? We're starting from day one with the assumption that everything's connected, and so we have the ability to have creativity with how we solve yeah. these problems because. Now Sky is interacting with conversion-minting contracts in a special way. And as we launch all these primitives, we keep having to challenge ourselves and be like, we have more design flexibility than any other protocol because all of our primitives can interact in a way that yeah. no one else can. So yeah. it's very
2: exciting. Yeah, I mean, not that, that doesn't even mention, like, down, down the line, having some of that revenue... Directed towards a pool that we can uh, eventually deploy to stabilizing synthetics. Yep. which is just mind blowing. the The amount of flexibility that this DAO actually has. Yeah. Yep. Hundred yeah. percent.
1: Don't get me started on synthetics. I'm mean, a little excited. <laughs> <good. laughs> we should probably have a standalone yeah. episode for synthetic synthetics. That rabbit hole is very freaking deep. So
0: kind of along the along the lines of the community pool. Next thing I kind of wanted to touch on was the grants, um, which will. Um, in the in the tokenomics release, they talked um, the release talked about migrating the grants program eventually to the community pool, um, which I imagine would also simplify the the user experience. They're not having governance uh, separated, um having thing everything kind of yep. centralized. Um, just to give a little bit of background on the allocation towards the grants. There's about twelve point three percent of the total supply. Uh, was allocated towards the grants, and these grants are used to accelerate uh, the development of key shade protocol, DeFi primitives, Silk adoption, and also community growth. Um, and some examples yes. of those that were given in the release were hackathons, mile-based products, milestone-based products, and also community initiatives. Um, yep. And so, one of the things that I took away from this that's really cool is that all of these grants are like the the funding for it is approved through community signal proposals and shade governance. And so, you know, while early on, governance is heavily dictated by the the core members, just because they have the largest allocations that that makes total sense. Um, But as the protocol becomes more and more decentralized, um, people are going to have more power in their hands and the the funding from the grants, Will end up being what does the community want to see built? What does the community support? What does everyone think we need? Uh, which yep. I which I think is really cool. And it um, and looking at the article, it says four different DeFi primitives are already being uh, built out as a result of the yep. Shade Grants program, which is, is killer. Yes, is killer.
1: Already in progress. And one thing I think is super exciting about the grants program is with this dream of branches, you could have a a spin up a branch that is devoted to just hackathons and a branch devoted to just app development, right? And so like the level of like permutation that can trickle down and the level of like specificity for like what these little pieces of governance are handling, like really opens up the the, the room for community specialists to emerge that can best handle those funds for the sake of the, the protocol. Just unbelievably powerful concept. And I'll also say that like, the way the treasury and governance is being designed is like these different branches have to request mm-hmm. funds ultimately so grants could have more than just 12.3% it could be 12.3% plus a bunch of other uncorrelated assets so the design the design space is very open and grants programs absolutely key to the long-term success of the protocol okay. so,
0: so when when can people individuals or teams or projects start applying for uh grants
1: Right now there's a GitHub, there's a GitHub for shade grants. It's secure secrets slash shade grants. Um is kind of the, the place where that's living temporarily. Of course, in the future that can that can be migrated to a different place. Um and we can probably link yeah. that below in the description. But come come one, come all. Like we're 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 taking the position that we'd much rather aggressively allocate capital you know, as a group of developers, hopefully as a community, like that's the best path here. We have a very small window in time, so we want to move quick and we want to take leaps of gotcha. faith on people. That's awesome. So, uh,
0: so, uh, want to move on to the next part and it's kind of squishing two things, uh, in together is looking at staking and LP reward allocation. Um, I know you guys are using mm-hmm. as far as, uh, incentivizing stakers using the Osmosis threatening model. Um, a, while you're waiting to establish non-inflationary rewards um, for staking yep. incentive, which that that last little part is what interests me the most. This non-inflationary rewards, um, because if you look at the if you look at the graph of the the model, eventually there will be no more shade emissions for staking, and so okay. that the incentive the incentive has to come from somewhere else, and so focusing on trying to um, generate these rewards, whether it's through uh, treasury bonds, um, you know, synthetics market, like revenue from other uh, primitives is, that it, it just seems kind of groundbreaking. Uh, I'm not sure if there are other projects out there that are.
1: Well, I wouldn't just say it, I wouldn't say it's just it's groundbreaking. I love the word, but I'll say that I think there's a massive problem in DeFi in that like people have like these 10 year distributions and then it's like people just like, oh, like it'll be good when we get to the end of the yeah. 10 years. <laughs> why not just keep throwing the dart down the road all oh, 30 year distribution right it's like no 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 like the problem is you need real legit economic value generated from your primitives that yep. create sustainability and i worry about the models that don't acknowledge that and aren't able to like spin up enough revenue streams because inevitably they have two choices everything breaks yeah. which is not good or they switch to an inflationary model and we could have a whole episode of talking about my philosophy on inflation, It'd take a very long time, but regardless, it's not optimal. So as we release tokenomics, we wanted to be very straightforward about, Hey guys, like these LP rewards, these sacred rewards, they're great. They're lucrative, but don't, don't conflate this with actual genuine long-term yeah. revenue streams. So. And
0: then as far as, uh, looking at how LP providers are going to be incentivized, um, you know. I think it's important, and I know you guys think it's important to incentivize um, people providing liquidity, obviously people need to be able to, if we want silk and shade to be as available and it um, be kind of that default or de facto uh, payment method for web three, it's important for people to be able to have really easy access for it. So being able to incentivize people for that is super important. Um, But I also think it's interesting. You guys are taking that same sort of approach to the staking, like how do we make, uh, staking sustainable you're now looking at how do we make LP rewards sustainable? Kind of taking that same approach of, can we, can we get non-correlated assets uh, to be able to provide revenue streams um, for this, which is, I think is so cool. Yeah.
1: And it's not a can yeah. it's a must though. Like it, like it has to happen. And so the LP rewards we're providing, the goal is that the treasury is going to be able to gobble up as many LP tokens as possible in exchange for these, for these shade bonds. And, and one day the treasury will issue bonds that aren't even shade bonds. You could issue a secret bond and try to grab some other yeah. asset, right? Like we have that design based uh, flexibility, but absolutely protocol and liquidity, hundred percent key LP models. They are rent models. And by definition are not as efficient as like protocol on liquidity, Just period. Like you can just think back to real world scenario, like yep. renting an office versus yep. owning an office, right? Like These are, these are the the long-term trade-offs. Um, so.
0: And I did, I did pick up one thing, uh, that of note in the release is that the shade LP rewards aren't going to be going live until there's an audited double-sided uh, LP reward model available on secret network decks, or if there's a um, uh, a primitive on shade that ends up getting built. And I was just hoping if you could provide a little detail about like what, what that model would really need to look at um, or look like.
1: Right, so double-sided LP is like, let's say you LP uh, secret shade and you would receive fire rewards and shade rewards. Or like on Sienna, you you provide, you know, secret shade, you receive Sienna rewards and shade rewards. And so we just want to make sure that the LP reward stream doesn't get pointed at any sort of rewards module until it's like audited and good to go. Um, And obviously, like we've alluded to potentially other key shade primitives, you know. That could function mm-hmm. as a DEX potentially, right? And so it, it's good to just like have patience with it. And as a community, the initial gut instinct is like, Oh, like we want all the liquidity, but like we want to make sure it gets applied safely when it does get applied, and that whence, <laughs> wow, whence, that's definitely not a word. That was like <laughs> that
2: is a word. <laughs> once once the uh
1: once the shade rewards start getting pointed and liquidity starts coming, we wanna make sure bonds are in place to capitalize on that deep liquidity and start building out that long term sustainability. That's all so. Yeah. The timing thing. Yeah, that's killer.
2: Yeah, it's it's funny the paradox that exists in crypto because it's the fastest moving space imaginable, imaginable. And yet at the same time, charts are are trading in the tightest of ranges until they go insanely parabolic. And I like I like the approach of of you know, like launching shade as an empty shell and doing all of these things carefully with creativity, even though you you just said you know, we have a small window in time here. So it's just such a funny trade-off. It is, definitely.
0: Um, So just going to move on to the next segment. So uh, this is kind of getting into something that people might get a little uncomfortable talking about, but it's definitely important to understand is um, private raise. Um, So first off, just want to start off saying congratulations on the private raise. I know you guys were very excited to have that come in. And for anybody that uh, hasn't read the tokenomics or um, the tokenomics release, or hasn't done any other digging on this, they raised five million dollars, which is approximately seven point seven five percent of the total supply. But they were this private raise was oversubscribed by seven and a half million dollars. So they they rejected um, you know these private funding partners. Um, so that kind of speaks to they're being selective about the, the people they're partnering with, the capital that's being allocated there, um, which I think in, in some sense can calm people a little bit. Um, but I want to give you Carter the floor to say like, what were you looking for in some of these potential partners? Like, why did you why did you choose some over the other?
1: Yep. So I'll start, I'll start with the number, right? I'll I'll start with 5 million because that was the initial, initial target. And then everything's kind of reverse engineered back from there. So 5 million specifically, so we can spin up essentially a team of 20 plus people to go as fast as possible. These are people with day jobs that are software engineers that work in traditional institutions. And it's like, how do you get someone to take the leap where you can give your full attention to this? It's not split part time. Like, it's like, you're here hundred percent. You're a shade core protocol developer, wherever you are in the world. And so 5 million back tested with salaries, back tested with numbers was like pretty much required to make everyone take the leap. And it's, I want to say, like, I've been seeing these fair drops. People's like, Oh, like, why don't you do like the hundred percent fair drop? And like, My answer is is that no one on this team had any pre-existing wealth. Like a lot of the people um, that are launching these fair drops are like developers that have already been in crypto for a super long time, and like they don't need like it's it's they have the flexibility to do that. And for us, it it felt like a scenario where it's like we needed some capital to be able to make the dream uh, come alive. Actually, my webcam just popped off there. One second. Uh, Ah. Alright, good guys. Cam, don't do this to me. (laughs) This is supposed to be the portion with the most transparency.
2: (laughs) Oh, let's switch it to
1: this. What's going on here? Well,
0: Yeah, worst case scenario, we can still hear you. So that's the important part.
1: All right. Um, All right. All right. So yeah, well, I'll I'll try to I'll try to speed up here. So five million dollars reverse engineered was like, all right, this is the this is the target amount. and then we had the evaluation number that we had to debate for, right? Cause there's obviously like the private sale, token price people can reverse engineer it pretty easily to figure out it was $6 and 45 cents. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were arguing that we had a $64 million valuation, which is quite quite bold by the way. Um, there was plenty of people that were like, that's way too high of a valuation. Um, so people, VCs were trying to get in at an even lower price, hmm. potentially like two, $3. Like I'm, I do not want to be part of your raise unless you, um, lower your, lower your valuation. And it was kind of like, Nope, like this is the value we believe in. Um, and so if we would have caved to that kind of pressure, more supply would have had to have been given up for like the 5 million. So it was definitely like a tooth and nail. This is what we, this is what we stand on. This is the valuation that we can, we can justify, um, and on the oversubscribe side, yeah, there's so many people that wanted in on the private raise. And like at the end of the day, we are looking for partners that genuinely have a history with investing in the privacy layer one, um, privacy layer one narrative. So, and people that have a proven track record of being quality VCs, not people that, that, um, dump on, on projects. So we put a lot of, put a lot of research into it. And, um, yeah, that, I guess hopefully that, that gives a little bit of rundown about why 5 million why the 7.75% is essentially reverse engineering from 5 million and, and arguing for a certain yeah. valuation.
0: And so. I think one other thing uh, that's important to note here uh, for anyone that's concerned about private raised partners dumping on them, uh, dumping their allocations once their vesting is complete, is if you look at the way that this vesting release schedule works, there's it's a linear vesting schedule um, and there's just a little over a thousand shade unlocked per day spread across these 25 partners. And so in in looking at the logic behind this, um, the linear vesting was chosen, because it helps uh, smooth out some of the supply shocks, you know, the these private raise uh, people, they're not waiting with no return, no way to uh, interact, Um, they have the ability to slowly interact with more and more of their allocation as time goes on. Um, And it kind of encourages people to interact with the protocol, rather than just looking for that payday, um, which I think is really important. Yep.
1: Projects projects that do the vesting, we've just we did the research, and it's just there's very strong correlation between you you know you slap a six month curve on someone, and they're just going to forget your protocol, come back in six months, and be like, oh, I want my yeah. upside now, right? Um, that's not at all like that's not at all optimal. Um, the other part I want to speak to is like people are worried about the seven point seven five percent, but what I would say is. If a VC sells off funds, guess what happens to the protocol? Gets Comes stronger. Yeah. They're- right. So, so it's like at the end of the day, it's like, yes, people will walk away with wealth in an asset that's not shade. But at the end of the day, we're decentralizing, decentralizing the protocol. So it's a short-term pain, long-term, you know, it's, it's healthier for the protocol. Obviously, would we have preferred to just have 5 million without giving away any percentage of the protocol, <laughs> yeah. of course, like that's, that's probably, probably <laughs> optimal, but we had that, we had a set of constraints and we, we managed it and fought and advocated to the best of our ability to have that number be as small as possible. We were even asked by a couple people to raise it, raise that number to like 12, 13%. There is VCs that said, Hey, your, your ticket, your maximum ticket size is way too small. I don't yeah. want it. Right? Like, Oh, like that's too big and it's or too small. And like, that's once again, I, I just wanted the community to know, that like we tried our best to filter out very, very not yeah. optimal entities.
0: So. And looking at the way that the, the linear vesting schedule works, it would seem that we're going to continually see liquidity, uh, on, in these pools increase as you know, these these players yep. get these small allocations. And one of the only things they can do right now is provide liquidity, um, and so that's a yes. real easy way for them to get interact with the interacting with the protocol and also generating a little bit of revenue there. Um, so that's something for anyone, you know, kind of thinking when are we going to see the liquidity start showing up um, in the dexes? Uh, as time goes on, we're going to see that liquidity just continue to go up. Um, obviously, only to a certain point, uh, but.
1: <laughs> Silk will be a big, big solution too. like once, once Silk goes live and the demand for stable coins is very organic and there's not much stable coin liquidity in Secret Network. So I think it's going to be the launch of Silk is really going to usher in this next generation of liquidity on Secret Network and also the launch of perhaps some, you know, Perhaps like a lending product, one could say, would would also drive mm-hmm. more demand for for silk. And material. there we go. Um,
0: so just uh just to talk on the last two small parts of the um of the tokenomics, uh, want to talk about launch expenses here. Um, I think I think it's really important that projects have these uh, allocations for launch expenses. Launch expenses specifically aimed at marketing and branding or additional branding um it it does you no good to build this amazing protocol if nobody knows it's out there and uh maybe this kind of speaks to why some um some tokens have really low airdrop claim rate is just there's not enough uh money put towards launch expenses like really hitting marketing hard really making sure your branding is on point um
1: Yep, that was like the like the video the video you watched mm-hmm. and all of the silk shade branding and the the brand book that exists out there that will probably be put into circulation at some point in the near future. Like these are all just like incredible partners that are aligned for for multiple years, and I, I can't I can't speak higher of these entities because shade protocol would not be where it is today without those people. I promise you. Like the branding is so strong. Yeah, logo is the color palettes, the, all the front end stuff you've seen that came from those teams helping with mockups and UI UX. And they'll be continuing to do that for all future primitives too. So these are, these are partners that are like super tightly aligned with us. And um, yeah, I absolutely, absolutely love those That's guys. Killer. So,
0: so um, in looking at the, the graphical representation of uh, you know, when the emissions will stop for launch expenses after the emissions stop for the marketing and branding, will we'll, we'll will allocations towards marketing and branding come from like either the community pool, like a proposal to spend, uh, or yeah, spend funds from the community pool or potentially the grants branch. Um,
1: I I've been told by these entities that they're, they're here permanently. Mm -hmm. So it's, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. That's obviously like contractually, that's not how contracts work, but like if you're holding, if you're holding a good amount of shade, like you're fairly, very, very incentivized yeah. for the protocol to succeed. Like, like I said, we're all, it's a massive revenue share model, but specifically, yes, I think the, the, the core development team will for sure be playing a, a key part in marketing and the, uh, events and whatever have you. And I'm hoping, um, that on the community side, the grants program, potentially through some other entities that could be spun up under the shade DAO, would also play a, like a very, very key role in in marketing in the, the long run so that's
0: awesome well that that pretty much covers most of the tokenomics um i i know we've got a couple general questions um that we've generated internally that if you've got a little bit of time we'd like to go through at least a couple of these um,
1: oh, I, I could sit on this podcast for 10 hours straight man whatever, <laughs> whatever it takes you I'm, I'm here for the long
0: haul I appreciate so. it um, so one of the things that uh, I've been thinking about most is how the how the protocol is going to go about delegating, uh, or maybe like best using these uncorrelated assets in the treasury. So if you're yep. if you're accumulating all these L1 tokens, you're eventually going to get a a sizeable enough delegation that you actually have some sway uh, amongst the, the like validator sets potentially for these different l1s yep. so i was just curious how you guys or have you thought about how you're planning on uh, managing those delegations um, i would imagine you would use the same yes. sort of principles that uh you kind of use to shape who gets the, the airdrop from adam or uh, luna or uh, secret
1: yeah. So currently, Jack Jack Swenson's the contract developer on this one, and it's been initially designed where it um, equally distributes out. Stuff. So let's say we're let's say we have uh, ten million mm-hmm. secrets staked on from from the Shade DAO. It equally distributes out the the secret to the different validators, essentially. Like as secret mm-hmm. comes in, it kind of distributes it out. But as we've seen with like performance issues lately, there might be some some flaws in that approach because it's almost too equitable. Okay. Um, in the sense that we probably want to prioritize validators that are performant, yeah. you know, like because every time—I don't know if people fully understand this—but like every time, the larger a validator is, the more blocks they process, and therefore the more influence they have on the performance of, mm-hmm. the, of the protocol, like with the actual UI UX experience. So if the Shade DAO is staking millions to a super super large validator, and that validator is not performing, then the Shade protocol UI UX experience is yeah. actually worse. So there's an argument that's emerging that like the secret staking derivative that's being launched in the next couple of weeks as well as like the treasury should have some form of criteria that's biased towards layer one community members that are really big contributors as well as that are performant. Um, And and maybe at the end of the day, this will literally be once again, a standalone branch that manages like who are a part of these validator sets starts to get a little messy because those validators are earning Mm -hmm. revenue. Right, So then they start to have economic incentive for colluding and trying to be the ones that are delegated to yeah. from the Dow. So things start to get a little, little messy on that front. That's why the initial pro- approach was like very neutral uniformity. So there's going to be trade-offs to however we go about it. Um, and hopefully that sheds some light on some of the initial thoughts. Yeah,
0: yeah definitely. That. I mean, my initial thought was, you know, will shade protocol, because it's uh, it, it could in the end be such a sizable delegation, does it make sense for them to spin up their own validators? for these different L ones, um, or, or do you just try and be as equitable with, uh, like a high bar of requirement, um, for like what you expect out of validators that you're delegating to, um, just try and spread it equally. Um, so really just any insight was, was helpful.
1: Yeah. We'll let the community do more research on that. And, and like, I think the idea of like having a node devoted to it is like, well, where's the accountability on that nodes revenue stream, right? Like let's say there's a shape protocol mm-hmm. node and we want like a hundred percent of the revenue to go back to the DAO. that would ultimately come down to like a human organization somehow having the, the ethicality and transparency to ensure that that happens. So that doesn't mean it's impossible. It just means there's, there's trade offs to every one of these types of setups and we'll, we'll have to community you, this is, this is your voice. This is your protocol. So
0: no, that, that, that makes awesome. sense. Um, I personally have just one more question for you. If Anand's got another question for you, um, then I, will let him, uh, throw the last question is, but I've been reading more and more about, um, central bank digital currencies and, um, looking at how that sort of landscape is setting up. And I can't help, but think that, you know, there's, there is going to be competition between these CBDCs and silk in the end. Um, and so I'm curious to hear from you, uh, if you think that these central bank digital currencies um, pose a like, legitimate threat, not necessarily like a regulatory threat, but a uh, a capitalization threat to silk.
1: Give me 10 seconds to pause. Oh, take your think. time <laughs> to answer. It's a
0: loaded question for sure. <laughs> sure
1: I think whenever we talk about currencies it always comes back to attributes and so what are we competing on right all right let's start with decentralization and permissionlessness and censorship mm-hmm. resistance like boom yeah. silk win, wins game set and match right privacy sovereignty who wins on that silk game set and match every single time stability anti-inflation silk wins on that every single time so Really, what is the, you know, the CBDCs, like, what, what's their advantage? It's like, well, accessibility and liquidity. Yeah. Right? And those are very, very massive advantages.
2: Make no
1: mistake about that.
2: Uh um, Fear, too, for, for the average Joe that yep. doesn't want to dive into all of this minutia. They'll, they'll say, well, this guy's job is to look out for my best interest, even though, you know, the truth is a little bit more yeah. complicated.
1: Yep. No, totally. And it's it's that's why... Currency is intimately tied with community and trust, a hundred percent. So I think I think accessibility um, and and trust and liquidity these are these are going to be our uphill battle. We've nailed the rest of the attributes if we do this right. Now the good news about accessibility is that's solvable. Mm-hmm. It's solvable. Um, the trust and community and the liquidity side like these these are permanent uphill battles that never come to an end mm-hmm. ever, period. You can never be accessible enough. You can never have enough trust, right? Like it, you can never have a big enough community. And what I've always said is that I remember I've had people along the way and they look at the tech, they look at the vision, they look at the roadmap map. they're like, all right, this is like, this is all good. This is better. But like, I don't, I don't think you're going to be able to win on the adoption front. And I'm like, if you're telling me that your only argument against Silk and Shade Protocol succeeding is adoption, then yep. game on.
0: Yeah, yes, I'm happy sir. to. I'm happy to help with that challenge as well.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: Um. Well, that 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 totally makes sense. Um. I was when I was initially reading these things, I was thinking more about like CBDCs that come about in economically or socially oppressed communities. You know, like right places where you're you're actually restricted in what things you have access to. And I guess at a certain point, there's not, there is like a limit to what Silk can do as far as being accessed. Like if you don't have internet access or you don't have, um, like if certain things are filtered, then it's not a whole lot that Silk or any other, uh, solution could do. Um,
1: but yeah and now uh, you got yeah uh, no we are very tied to the internet the internet is definitely a a core dependency yeah
2: you know and that's uh 100%. Sure. yeah well when, when when people talk about it being a great equalizer not only with information but access as well this is exactly where i see shade protocol giving that truth validity um but just for just for some some quick things i want i wanted to ask um i have one question that i'm actually going to break up into two parts um, so right now you can buy shade on either uh Sienna swap or secret swap. I was just wondering which one is the preferred source of truth between the two of those in the eyes of shade protocol itself.
1: It's a really, it's a really interesting question. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, they're automated market makers that have certain levels of liquidity and certain levels of rewards. And Whenever an Oracle looks at these things, it's going to be looking at the depth of the liquidity pool. So I would say like on an individual level, I'm always going to be biased towards depth of liquidity. Um, From like a product standpoint, I think they're both, they're both great teams. They both are um, serving a very key function in secret network. So I, I like I said that'll that'll be the extent that I can endorse one or the other is I'm I'm a big fan of deep liquidity and we don't have much liquidity right now so that's that's the that's kind of where I, where I stand. Okay, on. and
2: so but between those two, uh, those two, t- same contract, different different uh, exchanges. Those the the burning and uh, conversion minting will be taking place on both of those, correct?
1: Yeah. So conversion minting will have its own UI UX. Like you'll go to shadeprotocolio slash swap. And there'd be a page there where it's like silk to shade, shade to silk. Right. So that as a, as a functionality thing, it could live on those, those decks I hadn't really thought about that. There's really no harm in having that UI UX live in as many places as possible. Um, do we do like to coalesce people around the Shade protocol mm-hmm. brand and application? And it's that general good network effect of getting people. I just want people like comfortable going to shape protocol.io. It's like, Oh yeah. Like there's charts here. There's news here. There's articles here. There's all this functionality. So I think we'll be biased towards placing things there, yeah. but yeah, hundred percent. We'll, uh, we'll see where that swap functionality can live. Cool.
2: cool. And uh, yeah, hopefully when, uh, when we build out all of the, uh, the educational tools that we want to, we can even have maybe a link from shape protocol. On to our website, but the last thing that I wanted to ask was, um, so I, uh, self admittedly, I was a Luna maxi before I came across the shade reveal, which was an awesome introduction to learning all about what you guys were cooking up over here. Um, and the, the most amount of expertise that I had in that ecosystem was right after Columbus five was released. And from my understanding that implementation of the network, burned the extra um the extra amount of either uh, either token after the swap mechanism and their seniorage process uh so instead yep. of it going to the dow it went to a burn while well, never to be seen from again i was wondering which avenue shade was going with on this front oh yeah
1: 100 percent burn right out of the gates so i think i think it's very clear that that conversion, essentially what they're doing is they're conversion minting and just like minting money every time someone conversion minted and went straight back to the treasury. It's like kind of interesting because it's pulling value from everyone else that's not the treasury. So if you're biased towards the treasury being really big and technically those token holders that are getting diluted have ownership of the treasury then it's like it's kind of good, kind of bad but it's, I mean at the end of the day it's it's inflationary and it's, and it's value dilutive towards one specific entity. So I think avoiding that type of conversion minting inflation is against, it's, it's it's our principles say we want to avoid non-collateralized inflation barring the initial bootstrapping, right? So TLDR, um, no, there's no inflation on conversion minting with shape protocol. And I also feel bad too, because the initial white paper, and there's still like graphics out there, where I'm like, oh yeah, like Luna's inflationary. And I have all these people that are like, Luna's not inflationary. I'm like, yeah, like rewind the clock like six months ago. Like how that material was yeah. 100% accurate and relevant when we said it was inflationary. So I'm very happy they they made the switch away from it. Um, and I hope the Luna Maxis out there that have encountered shade calling Luna inflationary understand what it means to uh it's it's something called history
2: (laughs) yeah no i've gotten into a lot of those discussions and also there's inflationary and deflationary mechanisms on many parts of these protocols so just like using that word where it fits into a certain instance it just it never makes for a good conversation (laughs) yeah
1: and then inflation in web 3 is is really interesting because it's like usually Inflation is ultimately pulling value from a set of entities that are not participating a certain, in a certain set of actions, right? And it, and it goes towards a certain set of actors. So in web three, like the set of actors that are participating usually are serving a very good public good. The same problem arises though, for instance, like for like uh, proof of stake networks, why would the validators ever vote to give themselves less inflationary rewards, right? How much should they actually be getting paid to secure their network? These are super uncomfy questions that people don't ask. Um, I'm okay with asking it, but I'll also say shape protocol. We don't have to worry about securing an underlying layer one. And so that is part of yep. the benefit of not having our own layer one. And if we ever did have our own layer one, we would be thinking very long and hard about that question. So.
0: Well, I think that's uh that's about all the content we were hoping to cover for tokenomics. Um, before I say my last bit uh carter is there anything in particular right now that uh you would encourage community members to get involved with specifically um i'm not sure if there's any uh if testnet's still going on right now or if there's any other things that um protocol yep. specifically looking for community help on right now
1: couple so yeah a couple a couple of things thank you Th- first off thank you guys so much for being such gracious hosts this is like such a It's surreal to know there's other people around the world and and you guys get it, you know, like you, you get, you get the vision. It's tangible. It's real. So thank you for having me on. Thank you for building out this platform, how you can involved, uh, for sure. Go follow house of shade on Twitter, follow these guys, support these guys at the beginning of their journey, the middle of the journey and wherever the journey takes them. So like these, these are amazing community members and be sure to support them at every turn. Um, second off, join the discord, get involved in like peg research, social impact channel, economics channel, um, there's like, there's a place for you. If you're someone in the world, you get the vision, you want to be on, you want to be a part of this. There is a home for you somewhere. Let us plug you in. We'll find a spot. Discord is a great first place to do that. The Shade Grants program, we'll be sharing more details of that in the coming week or two. Um, I need to just go to a done coffee and just, <laughs> just, just, just really like iron out, uh, that, that the, the grants program and making sure people are crystal clear on like what's available and how to go about applying. And then the incentivized testnet stuff, there's a discord channel for that. Get involved. Once again, that's on us. We should have provided better clarity throughout the process. In the last like month, we can, we can do better and definitely be actively looking to improve the communications and the the structure on that front for the community. So
0: awesome. Well, uh, we'll make sure to link shade protocol tokenomics medium article in the description of the video as long as well as links to shade protocols, website, our Twitter shade protocols, Twitter. That way everyone can stay up to date. Also, like Carter said, I would definitely uh, recommend anyone who's not already in the Shade Protocol Discord, go get, um, go join. You can see all the developments going on with governance, PEG research, the economics, uh, incentivized testing. Um, It's very open. All of this development is out in the open for the most part. And so uh, I encourage any community member that wants to learn more in real time go join those channels that that's the best place. Um, Yeah. And thank you, Carter for coming on uh, for being an awesome first guest. I know this past week with the airdrop has been uh, fairly stressful and time consuming. So uh, hopefully, (laughs) you're at the point where you can get a little bit of extra sleep. Uh, But I know I know the roadmap ahead is still uh, long and busy
1: yeah well, the the good the, I guess my final thing I'll say is the thing that's comforting to me is we've as a team and as a community, like we have such a clear we have a very clear set of principles. We have a growing community, and we know where we need to go next. And the stuff that gets me excited is knowing that more and more of this is now coming down to execution as opposed to forethought. yep, right? like we so, we have really researched deeply and made sure this is that we're headed in the right direction. and the more it comes down to just execution, the more excited I get. So all right. Thank you, Carter.
0: Yeah. Thank you. And thank you, everyone, for listening.
1: Right. Yep, have a good one, guys, as I as I wave with my pitch black weapon. <laughs> Take care, bro. <laughs> See you.
2: Yeah.